Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel from Hogbeat.com, the rival site. I'm here with Andrew Hutchinson, our lead team reporter. It's finally game week in Fayetteville. Uh, kickoff against number four ranked Georgia is at 3 p.m. on the SEC Network. Or a select few of you might be actually in the stadium. Uh, about 17,000 of you received tickets, so congratulations to you guys. But I personally will be on my couch Hutch, uh, this week, the uh, athletic staff lets you guys go through uh, what the experience will be like for fans. How different is game day going to be for those fans that, you know, had season tickets and will get to go in? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be different. Uh, it's going to be a little bit weird. Uh, there's there's different, like, you know, you have to go in the entry, uh, the gate that's on your tickets. Uh, usually it's pretty flexible, uh, but they're strongly encouraging it this year because they've got it all kind of spread out where – uh, everyone, you know, there's a certain amount of people each gate, and then uh, there's obviously going to be social distancing involved. They, they encourage everyone to stay six feet or more away from everybody. Uh, masks are required uh, for the entry every time, uh, from the minute you enter the stadium to the minute you leave, you have to have your mask on, uh, aside from whenever you're obviously, you know, eating, a, eating something or drinking something. Uh, now, uh, actually, in the game, uh, their seats are going to be spread out. Uh, quite a bit to ensure the distancing so it's gonna are look people weird. up in the upper bowl or not at all yeah I mean yeah they're utilizing everywhere just to get as many people as they possibly can I mean they're they're basically in in general they're going to be they'd have a row with people on it uh, and then skip two rows row with people on it and then on that row there's going to be three seats between each group uh, so it's it's going to look different uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what it, you're interested to see what it looks like. A subscriber reached out to me via our private messaging on Hogbeat. Um, and he said, you know, if, if, since you can't go to the game, if you ever want to go, I've got, you know, two extra tickets. I'm like, man, man, that's so nice. Could I, you know, like in the stands tweeting, I really doubt it, but that would be a lot of fun to get to experience that from the point of view of the fan to see how loud it is down there. It's going to be, pretty weird but honestly like compared to I don't know some of the games at the end of last season like it'll probably be equally as loud because people will be more excited even though there's less than what they had which was still like what like 26,000 or something like that yeah it was it was pretty bad late last year but it's gonna even be less than that uh, but again you're right I mean the people that are gonna be there are gonna be people that truly want to be there and they're going to hopefully be loud I think Rakeem Boyd said something like uh, we expect the 17,000 there to be loud. And if you're not loud, we'll find a new 17,000. So uh, come prepared because the guys are, are really counting uh, on, on all the, the fans showing up and, and showing out. Uh, one thing I know for sure is that I am so stoked that this season is finally here because that fall camp was entirely <laughs> too long. <laughs> I, like it was actually a couple extra weeks, right? I I think it was a little bit longer than normal. I think it was. I don't know. I it was say it was five terrible. Weeks compared to usually four, and like the practices were spread out. So I mean, it definitely felt longer uh, because you have more days in between practices and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I just felt like at the end, I just really needed to stop. Like I don't know. Maybe I'm just not good at you know writing like the sunshine pumping content but that's essentially what you're boiled down to at the end there because you know we're very limited in what, in what we get to see at practice and what we get to report from practice so 
you're just relying on what the players are telling you and the players are always positive like that's what that's kind of their job when they come out into press conferences with us so um yeah i'm just excited i know that saturday's game is going to be rough but for us as reporters that i mean we like we just like seeing how they're going to do because we just report on the facts whether they're good or bad uh but yeah number four georgia uh it's you had a stat about you know how how a highly ranked team hasn't come in here since like you know alabama obviously yeah i mean since uh other other than alabama this is the first time a top five team has come to fayetteville uh, since 1999, and Arkansas fans will remember that game because that team was number three, Tennessee, and Arkansas pulled off the upset as an unranked team, and uh, fans stormed the field, tore down the goalposts, partied on Dixon, and it was it was grand old time. That was actually, uh, ironically enough, my as uh, my earliest Razorback sporting event memory. I remember being there. I was five years old and we were sitting in the, the hog heaven seats because that's where our season tickets are and I remember begging my parents please let me go down there on the field it looks so much fun and of course you know they knew that it was nowhere uh, uh, being on the field with a bunch of drunk college kids was not the place for a, a five-year-old boy it'd <laughs> <laughs> be exciting your dad's pretty tall he could have gone on his shoulders let him exactly deal we, with we the college ended up kids. in the newspaper or something uh, well, when the Bulldogs come in on Saturday, both teams will have gone through three rounds of testing. So, you know, if there's any possibility of anyone being positive, they're likely very unsymptomatic. So that's good news. Everyone should be healthy. I mean, we've heard rumors, um, nothing that we can report until Saturday about players who might be out. I don't think there are going to be starters out, um, but second teamers, that's a possibility. So, um, you know, this game is going to be probably as competitive as it can be. I don't think Georgia has many people out. They do miss uh, Trey McKitty, the uh, tight end transfer that they brought in. Um, but, you know, Georgia has some nice young talent as well, Darnell Washington. So, um, both teams are going to be pretty much at full strength, I think. Um, and then we'll just kind of see how it goes. They're testing out a new quarterback. Uh, so Arkansas gets to be on the positive side of a quarterback situation, finally, with Felipe Franks. And Georgia is the team that has been kind of in some turmoil over their quarterback situation because Jamie Newman came in from Wake Forest, you know, a guy who averaged her – yeah, averaged a 60% completion percentage. That's pretty good. Uh, and they were going to be pretty stable with him. And then you had JT Daniels transferring. So that kind of like set things off like, well, maybe JT Daniels can start, but he was injured, the former five star. So he still had to work through rehab. And then you had Dewan Mathis, the dual threat, uh, former four star and Rivals 150 guy. So they had a bunch of options. And then Jamie Newman opted out. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't think that was a great decision for him, but he might still get drafted. Who knows? Um, and then you have JT Daniels, who they were hoping would get cleared by Saturday, but hoping is usually, you know, kind of false hope. It, it usually tends to be that they're not good to go. So we're likely seeing Dewan Mathis. Um, what do you think about him so far? Yeah, I mean, all signs point to Mathis because uh, I think for the longest time, uh, Kirby Smart had been telling reporters that they expect 
uh, JT Daniels to be cleared. But now, uh, for the past week, he's kind of changed his tone to where we hope he's going to be cleared. And that may just be some gamesmanship where they're trying to, to make you know, Sam Pittman have to prepare for both quarterbacks. It's kind of kind of funny to think that a team like Georgia might have to resort to gamesmanship against a team like Arkansas, but that, that's just how coaches are. And uh, with Mathis, I mean, it does sound like he's a, a more dual threat guy. Uh, we don't really know what he can do because he is a redshirt freshman. Uh, didn't play at all last year because he ended up having brain surgery in May of 2019. Uh, it's kind of crazy, but uh, he, he managed to get back in time to run the scout team before uh, the Sugar Bowl last year for Georgia. So uh, really a cool story, one that even Sam Pittman said that, you know, if it is Mathis, he, he couldn't be happier because it's a guy that, uh, you know, he, he saw last year when he was a Georgia offensive line coach battle back through that. So uh, hopefully that uh, works out well and then he's able to, to start for, for the Bulldogs. And uh, the only thing Arkansas fans are always worried about is, are we going to make this guy look like a Heisman Trophy winner? Maybe. I mean, and it may not just be because it's Mathis. It may be because it's the first game of this defense, a defense that struggled last year, lost a lot of key pieces. And then also Georgia still has a lot of really talented offensive players. Sam Pittman left behind a lot of really good offensive line recruits, even though they did lose, I believe, four of their five starters to the NFL. So we talked about this after the first scrimmage, I believe, of the uh, fall camp season. Um, Pittman's handling of this whole thing. What do you think? I mean, he led us into practice. That wasn't bad. Or I say us, you, into practice. Um, so that was a pretty cool move by him that most or all of the SEC didn't. So um, which, what do you think of how he's handled things going into his first game? Yeah, I mean, he, he did let us in for a little bit. We didn't get to see a ton. Uh, but as you mentioned, with, with everything going on with COVID and everything, uh, I think Arkansas was the only school that allowed any type of, of media access. Uh, Missouri, I think, let in some photographers or something. But other than that, nothing across the board. So that was, that was cool. And, and I think that Pittman, all things considered, has, has handled it as well as you can. I mean, he didn't get spring ball. He didn't get the usual, like, you know, interaction with players during the summer. Uh, he had to do everything over Zoom. And, and, and Pittman being as big of a relationship guy as he is, uh, that was a little bit hard on him, I think. And uh, to, to finally get to where they can go through fall camp, uh, it sounds like they made it through relatively healthy. I mean, obviously, who knows what happens with COVID. But as far as significant or major injuries, I don't think there really has been any. Uh, so I, I think he, he's done a really good job of getting everything geared up and, and ready to go for what's going to be a, a brutal, brutal 10-game schedule. Yeah, if there had been any injuries, they would have had to happen between – when was your last practice? Tuesday of last week and sometime this week. And usually people tip us off to things like that. So we probably would have heard. Um, but, yeah, so far so good. Um, uh, on Saturday, Kendall Bryles will be on the field. And Barry Odom will be up in the box. Um, I feel like that makes sense. He gets so much more of the field when you're up in the box as a defensive coordinator to be able to see everything. So I would probably even want to be up there if I was an offensive coordinator. But that's just, I mean, that's how we watch games at home from, yeah. from that bird's eye view. Um, offensively, Felipe Franks, he's got 
everyone's admiration so far. He was named one of the four captains. Um, they were, you know, they had glowing reviews for him. They say that, you know, he'll call receivers over one-on-one -on -one to talk to them so that they can be on the same page. He doesn't jump down guys' throats. Everyone usually respects that. He's very communicative with the offensive line and they like his leadership as well. Uh, so, oh, uh, Grant Morgan actually said that because I asked him, like, how is Felipe Franks when you when you pressure him? Like, does he start talking trash? Like, does he get frustrated? He was like, actually, Pittman doesn't let the offense and the defense talk to each other back and forth, like, at all. Like, after the play, you just, I guess, lift them up off the ground and move on because he doesn't want any kind of penalties during the season. I think that's really smart. Um, and, especially when you're Arkansas, like you just don't need any of that. Um, I know a lot of people like jumped on players who would do that last season when they were down by like 20 points. So I totally get it. And I think it's smart. Um, so Felipe is so far looking like a good leader. Like what did you see of his arm while you were out there practice? Well, he's by far got the best arm of the room. Uh, it's, it doesn't even take a trained eye to notice that. I mean, we didn't get to see him in scrimmages or anything like that, but just sheer arm talent, watching him throw routes to receivers. Uh, it was, it, it was pretty. I mean, it was, uh, it, it looked like it's supposed to look from an SEC quarterback. And uh, so it, it was no surprise to see him emerge as the, uh, the starting quarterback from a sheer talents perspective, but it, it is interesting, you know, as you're touching on there with him being such a leader this year and being named a captain, uh, this is his first year at Arkansas. He's been here less than a year, and he was voted a team captain by his peers. That I don't know this for certain. I haven't done the research. I uh, don't know if I will, uh, but I, that might be unprecedented for a first-year player to come in and be immediately voted a team captain. So uh, really, really cool to, to see that, and that's what you want from your quarterback is, is a leader type. So that was good to, good to see. And then, the talent is surely there now it's just a matter of what's it going to look like when the bullets are flying yeah no doubt um and you would probably know this as a arkansas football historian has there ever been three african-american quarterbacks on the arkansas roster on scholarship at once i honestly was thinking about that yesterday uh it, the thought crossed my mind I know in the 80s, there was an overlap between, uh, oh crap, now I'm forgetting his name. I think it was Greg Thomas, Gary Thomas, Greg Thomas, I think. Someone that's older than me is going to make fun of me for not knowing that. But he started in the mid-80s, and then a freshman named Quinn Grovey came in his right. back was his backup. Uh, I'm not sure if there were three African-American quarterbacks on that roster or not. But I know that there's been times where, like, you know, your top two guys are, are African-American. But this year is unique because you've got, obviously, Felipe Franks, K.J. Jefferson, and Malik Hornsby. Uh, pretty, pretty unique situation. I, I was trying to think of any other starting quarterbacks that, that were African-American. I know Robert Johnson started some in 2005 and the 2006 opener. He ended up converting to wide receiver. Uh, and I think there may have been one in the mid nineties, uh, but don't, don't hold me to that. There, there have not been very many. So it is a really cool to see kind of that uh, diversity. I mean, kind of evolve through the years. 
Yeah, I think it's just like a sign of the times. If you look at the NFL, I think this year they have the most ever African-American quarterback starting for teams. So that's crazy. That's pretty cool. Um, just looking at our, you know, stat comp, pro football focus comparison that you put together this week. This game is a, mitch, a mismatch. Not that most need, most people need to be told that, but when you were actually putting the numbers together, like how <laughs> – like how stark was it 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 was pretty dramatic uh, i wanted to say like 17 of their 22 projected starters georgia's were four or five star recruits um you know arkansas has a few four stars you know like Traylon burks and trey knox and you know felipe franks you know xavier kelly some transfers bumper pool uh, but even those guys you know their line the, their their counterpart at georgia was you know a five star i mean I, I think arkansas may have had the edge at four of the positions, something like that. It, it was, uh, it was definitely favored uh, Georgia from that perspective. And then you look at the pro football focus grades and it was, it was very similar. I mean, especially on defense, they are incredible on defense. I mean, every single guy was graded like a 70 or above. And not only that, but they played a lot of snaps last year. Like they, they do replace some starters but guys played a lot last year because the Georgia offense wasn't like blowing teams out or anything like, yeah, the defense had to stay on the field a lot. So they got a ton of experience. Uh, I think they're only starting maybe like one sophomore in there, but like eight returners. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. When I was putting together the first look of Georgia and for each one of my first looks, I put like their, average recruiting class um, from the past four years and Georgia is in the past four years uh, first and a half <laughs> so like they went one one three one or something so their average is one and a half but they had 18 five stars 18 Arkansas has had none in pretty much ever um, and they had 58 four stars so that's almost almost all of your scholarship players were four stars or higher. So yeah, the talent discrepancy, um, I think it's going to be pretty stark just because, I mean, you can develop three stars and stuff to, to play better, but it doesn't happen over one fall camp. So I, I think the talent differential will be pretty large, um, but we don't know what to expect out of Georgia's offense. Not even the Georgia beat writers know what to expect because they weren't allowed at Kirby Smart's practices. Uh, he hired Todd Monken, who was uh, at the Browns, and he also was the head coach at Southern Miss and a few other spots. And I was doing research on him, and he's an air raid type guy, but apparently he's, he's been able to, you know, adapt his systems to fit the weapons that he's got. So uh, I don't like the sound of that <laughs> because I think he's going to be a coach that's good at adjusting in game. And, you know, if, if the run game isn't working, then he's just going to pass the ball more. And so, um, yeah, it, it seems like he's, he's had a lot of good positions over the years as a coach. I'm sure Kirby smart wasn't hiring just anybody, you know, so Coupling that with a defense that's supposed to be potentially even more lethal than last year's, it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be tough. I mean, the um, 
the line right now is at minus 28, right? So in my mind, that seems like a lot of points for Georgia to score, but you cannot compare last year's Georgia offense to this year's offense. So I'm really stuck here. Like tonight when I'm writing my, my new hogbeat SEC bets, it's going to be tough for me to decide this one. Yeah, I mean, you also got to factor in that that they are going against Arkansas's defense, you know, whereas you know, Georgia's offense may struggle, uh, but Arkansas's defense is, is going to be a work in progress for, for Barry Odom. So Yeah, they did, they did put up 55 points against Arkansas State last year and 43 against Tennessee, and it's when Tennessee was playing pretty bad, but I still got to imagine their defense is better than Arkansas, so um, I, I'm, I'm torn. Yeah. I mean, it is a very large line and, and it right now, as it sits right now, as we talk, you know, 28 points, it would be Arkansas's, uh, second largest spread, uh, as a home team, uh, second largest underdog, uh, since 97 with the only one that was larger was two years ago, uh, the Alabama game when they came in and, and it was, I think they ended up the Final score was like 65-31, uh, but it really wasn't even that close because Arkansas scored a touchdown with like 13 seconds left to, to be a backdoor cover. They were a 35-point dog, and that one ended up losing by 34. So uh, there's a little precedence there of Arkansas having some success against the line, mm-hmm. uh, but Arkansas never, as far as I know, won a game where the point spread was that large. I mean, even some of the biggest upsets in school history – uh, the one that probably comes to most people's minds is the 78 Orange Bowl against Oklahoma. I don't know what the point spread was in that game, but it was quite large. But Arkansas ended up coming out and dominating. But again, that was different time, different area. Uh, it's it's going to be an uphill battle for Arkansas on Saturday. The one thing that has me wanting to you know pick the Hogs to cover, uh, tweeted this earlier, was that Kirby Smart, even though Sam Pittman took a bunch of his staffers with him when he came to Arkansas, uh, I hope he views that as like a, you know, it's fair game kind of move because if those coaches want to go with Pittman and want to build something new when they have something so great at Georgia, like you kind of just got to like respect the move in my opinion. So hopefully there's no bad blood between them, but then also his former players just love Sam Pittman. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, maybe they let up, you know, like if things are getting out of hand, maybe they don't score that many points. So that is the other thing that has me maybe wanting to pick the hogs there. Yeah. I mean, I I think that there, I don't think there's any bad blood there just because we've, we've heard Kirby talk all week about how much he's, he respects Sam and everything. And, but so you think maybe, Hey, maybe they won't run up the score, but then again, uh, I think everyone would agree that, Chad Morris was really good buddies with Gus Malzahn. And I just pull up the score here. Arkansas lost to Auburn at home last year, 51 to 10. So, but the players, the players didn't give yeah, a damn about Chad Morris. Yeah, but, you know, the coach, uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, who knows? Those players are probably so competitive. I'm probably making this up just for fun. But, um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing to watch. I mean, Pittman was there for four years. Their offensive line was almost exclusively recruited by him, handpicked. Um, so, yeah. Um, let's move on to our depth chart. We got it on Monday. I was worried we weren't going to get it and that we'd have to wait until maybe even Saturday. But luckily, 
they're not for the drama here uh, in this administration, <laughs> apparently. Uh, we got that on Monday. Uh, you wrote it up real quick with your, your takeaways from it. So what were the biggest things that stood out to you? Offense was not a huge surprise, in my opinion, except yeah, for that, one position. Well, the offensive line a little bit and then tight end. Yeah, there weren't really a ton of super big surprises. A lot of it was was about what we had Uh, our, our latest depth chart projection uh you know there's there's still three oars for the uh, starting positions uh one at tight end which is probably one of the surprises was that uh, Hudson Henry is a guy that we all expected to be the starting tight end unquestioned because he's really the only guy uh but it ends up ended up being listed with an oar with Blaine Toll uh the true freshman who has gone from defense to offense to defense back to offense uh, as, a, as a tight end. Uh, another one of the oars is at right tackle. Uh, Dalton uh, Wagner and Noah Gatlin are listed as oars. Uh, it's a little bit interesting because Gatlin is also listed as the backup left tackle, uh, but I interpreted that uh, and Sam also confirmed it is that he's a guy that is comfortable playing both sides of the line. You know, if something happens to Myron Cunningham, even if Gatlin starts at right tackle, he would probably move over to left tackle and Wagner would fill in at right tackle. And uh, then on, on defense, the only starting position that was with an oar uh, was Xavier Kelly and Isaiah Nichols. And that's, that's honestly something I was kind of uh, expecting uh, because just based on, you know, the last time we saw the uh, practice, it looked like Isaiah Nichols was running with the ones and Xavier Kelly was with the twos. And then during the kickoff luncheon, which they did virtually this year, Barry Odom was asked about defensive playmakers and the first player out of his mouth was Isaiah Nichols. Uh, so that was a little bit of a surprise. I'm happy personally because I'm a Springdale High graduate, just like Isaiah Nichols. So uh, shout out to the Red Dogs. Uh, but it, it was very interesting to see him being right there with, with one of those graduate transfers that most people penciled in as a starter. I wonder if Blake Kern is maybe not able to play this weekend because like we talked to him during the week. We usually only talk to guys that are like on the two deep. So I was just very surprised that they didn't just put like Hudson Henry, Blaine Toll, or Blake Kern. Like he's a senior. You would think if there's any kind of battle there at all, he would at least be listed. So I don't know. I guess we'll see on Saturday. Uh, and then another thing that I'm sure, surpri not surprised, but uh, maybe excited people, uh, Ty Clary. I guess officially lost the uh, battle at center, but you know, he's got to stay very ready because you never know what can happen. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm so scared for injuries this year, like more than probably ever before. Like if Rakeem Boyd, knock on wood, <laughs> accidentally got hurt. Like I know Traylon Smith is pretty good, but we just haven't seen very much of him. So I'm very apprehensive to put, any faith in almost any of the backups. Like, I don't think this team has a ton of depth. So I know that the first team really is like the best group and an injury to any of them has me on edge. Not only that, but you also got to worry about, you know, positive COVID yeah. and contact tracing. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I mean, even if Arkansas does really, really well with, you know, not going out to parties or, you know, doing things irresponsibly, you know, it could happen. And, you know, one guy gets it and then you knock out 
six players from contact tracing and you may be on a, a third string guy. And that's something that Sam Pittman's actually talked about is something that really weighs on him day to day to day. Because I mean, that, I mean, I can't imagine being a, in his position, having testing done this morning and waiting to tomorrow a day before the game to find out, Oh dang, we're losing a starting linebacker or yeah. a starting wide receiver. I mean, that would just, that would just be brutal. I mean, I don't know how much more expensive, I mean, I don't even know if they have them because they were supposed to do the rapid tests on Friday, right before they leave or before they get ready for the game. And they're not doing those. So they decided to do the Thursday so that they could get the results by Friday. But like, if they just did the rapid tests all week, it would just be so much like the coaches wouldn't have to wait for this information and they could just immediately move on to plan B. But um, I don't know what happened with that. Maybe they'll institute next week and they couldn't make it happen. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about that. Um, the secondary, I was, I guess, pleased to see that Jalen Catalan has, you know, fully recovered from whatever meniscus surgery he had. And he is actually with the ones. I thought that maybe, you know, Miles Mason has more snaps in general than, than Jalen does. So I thought maybe he'd take over and be a one. But no, Jalen finally gets his shot. Uh, he's you know, he played great in like the 30 snaps that he had as a true freshman. Um, anything that stands out to you in the secondary? Yeah, I mean, that was that was good to see. And I was a little bit not really surprised to see it, uh, but I was maybe surprised how quickly we saw it with Miles Slusher uh, being in the two deep. I honestly expected that uh, Micah Smith might start out in the as the second team guy. Uh, behind, I think it was behind Joe Fouché, one, one of the safeties, uh, but he's already cracked the duty. Uh, so that tells you right there that uh, the coaches aren't messing around. As Sam Pittman has said it, if, if you're the best player, even if you're a true freshman, we're going to play you. And, and it makes sense this year more than ever because everyone's, it's a free year. So you don't have to worry about playing in only four games or whatever. Uh, you can play in every game. And if you only get 10 snaps, it's not like you're, you're wasting the year. Uh, so that was a little bit surprising. And then the one that was probably the most stunning of all the true freshmen was, was Cardi Johnson being a second team corner, uh, beating out guys like uh, a Ladarius Bishop, who's listed as the backup nickel, uh, but also is competing at corner, beat out of Devin Bush, four-star guy, beat out Malik Chavis, you know, a, a three-star guy who's a, a really good athlete from the state. Uh, so that was, that was interesting. I mean, a, a two-star recruit from Connecticut, coming in and then immediately cracking the two deep. That was, that was pretty surprising. So I wrote a story this week that I'm not sure many people appreciated, but they will as the season goes on. I was looking back on the 2019 season in like the pro football focus data and stats. And for those who don't know, pro football focus is a, it, it, it's a analytical system that, tracks every single play and it grades the players every single play and you know they have it all averages out to their game score and it tracks throughout the season um so I went back and looked at you know Arkansas's uh grades in certain categories like pass rushing um sacks allowed and, and stuff like that and I boiled it down to where I think the hogs have the biggest um, room for growth um, obviously I think the passing game is up there. The second you add Felipe Franks, he is an automatic boost. 
Um, I think the run game could potentially be even better. Um, but if the passing game is more successful, then, you know, it might not balance out to, to be that way, but like grade wise, it could be better. Um, offensive line play. That is one that I don't know. They weren't as bad as people think last season. So I'm not actually sure how much better they can get, but we kind of expect it right with, Brad Davis and Sam Pittman leading them. So I think I still said that even they could get better tight end. I kind of predict no, because CJ O'Grady, um, you know, he boosted the tight end stats overall to a pretty high level. Um, and then um, on the defensive side, the defensive line is the group that I think could, you know, make a big push because their pass rush last season was, not great. I'm and then they lost McTelvin and Jean, so they have to find someone to replace his productivity. But I feel like they could do that more like as a unit. Um, and we'll talk about this later, but like I have a guy who I think could potentially provide uh, those stats himself because the coaches have been, you know, throwing a, a lot of praise on him. So where do you think the biggest improvements could be made? I think the biggest improvement is going to be in the passing game uh, just because you've got a competent quarterback, at least, at least it seems like it. I mean, uh, not only that, but you didn't have him sharing snaps all camp, you know, even though he lost spring uh, spring ball, uh, Frank still got to go through all of fall camp. He got to go through, you know, he did individual like workouts throwing with receivers over the summer. Uh, he got all that work in and, and he is the unquestioned starter. So I think that'll help, and I think it's going to help having a guy like a Kendall Bryles who you know, likes to throw the ball, he likes to go fast, put pressure on defenses. And I think that could really, you know, with the receivers Arkansas has, Burks, Knox, and Woods, I think that sets the stage for a, a really solid passing attack, uh, which, as you mentioned, will help the run game, but the run game was already pretty daggum good last year anyways. Uh, I just think the biggest improvement-wise, uh, it'll be in the passing game. Before we move on to like looking at the the season as a whole, um, just what's your prediction for this game? For this game, ah, mm -hmm. uh, well, Arkansas is definitely not going to win. Um, I feel very confident in that. I'm sending I, this clip to Old Takes Exposed <laughs> if it happens, even though like the rest of everybody agrees with you. So I, I I do think Arkansas has a shot at covering, especially with the the line growing up to, to 28 uh, as of right now. Uh, I think my final score I predicted was like had a 24-point margin. Like I think it was like 38-14 or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that. That sounds about like what I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be – it could be close for a half, but Georgia's just – they got too many dogs to, to not pull away in the second half. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I think, you know – a turnover or two, I don't know how Arkansas could get them, but maybe if they did, you never know. But no, for like as, as a serious prediction, what's most likely to happen, yeah. I think, you know, like 17 for Arkansas, up in the 30s for Georgia is probably about right. Uh, maybe even in the 40s. We'll, we'll see how that offense looks. I'm, I'm intrigued to learn about it. Like, I kind of know what Kendall Brown's offense looks like. I watched enough tape of Baylor and uh, Florida State to know that, but I, I don't know what the Georgia offense is running, and neither do any of them. Their 
I think second, like their second team, not second team, second wide receiver this week, Kiaris Jackson, he said that it's going to be an offense no one's ever seen before at Georgia. So I'm intrigued by that. Um, our season roundtable, I haven't even put my questions like on paper or my answers on paper yet, but you sent me yours. Um, receiver totals. Um, did you put three different answers for this or did you yes. give it all to Traylon Burks? <laughs> no, I mean, I could definitely see Traylon Burks leading in all three categories, but I also think with the, the way this receiving group sets up, it could legitimately be one, uh, you know, three different guys at the three different categories. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Burks probably will lead uh, the receiving yards. I just think he's such a big time playmaker. He's going to make some big time plays. Uh, that's probably going to include some touchdowns this year, which he didn't score last year. Uh, but I also see Trey Knox with him being such a big body uh, guy that uh, is probably going to be a, a weapon in the red zone. You know, he had several touchdowns last year. I could see him leading in the touchdown category. And then you've got Mike Woods, who I, I kind of view as kind of the, the possession receiver. I don't think he's going to be a guy that you know, gets a ton of yards or a ton of touchdowns, but uh, he's going to catch a ton of passes, I feel like, especially with as if, if Arkansas does get the improved uh, quarterback play from Felipe Franks. Yeah, uh, you, you nailed that one. That's probably about what I would say, although I think there's a pretty good case that Traylon Burks leads in all three. Um, Okay, so Arkansas lost uh, Scooter Harris and Sosa last after last season. So who do you predict as the uh, leading tackler and leading sack creator this season? Yeah, I think the sack uh, sacks are going to be uh, Julius Coates. Uh, I'm a little hesitant to say that. I mean, he's gotten a ton of praise from the that's coaches. That's the only thing we have to go on, so that's what yeah. I'm going with as well. I mean, that plus I actually, you know, seeing him at practice, I saw him up and up close and in person, and he is an impressive physical specimen. I mean, he is a large human being, and he looks like what you would want out of an SEC defensive end. But again, I'm hesitant whenever I'm talking about a JUCO player coming in and contributing his first year. I mean, the guy that always comes to mind is Martrell Spaeth, former linebacker. He went from like I don't know, a handful of tackles his first year from JUCO at Arkansas to being an all-SEC linebacker his senior year. Maybe it, he follows a similar trajectory like that, uh, but, you know, hopefully he can be a guy that Arkansas counts on for, for sacks. Uh, as far as tackles are concerned, you know, usually that is a linebacker. You know, we've seen Scooter Harris led the team the last three years. Brooks Ellis was a couple of years before that. Martrell Spate before that. So a bunch of linebackers typically are, you know, the guys that rack up a lot of tackles. But then again, I don't exactly feel super confident about the linebacker group this year. You know, Bumper Pool, Grant Morgan are the two starters. I'm kind of thinking it might be a Joe Fouché. I think he's a guy that likes to hit people. I think he's going to come down and play in the box a little bit based on what Barry Odom has said. I also think that he might get burned on a few passes and have to make tackles in that perspective. Uh, so I, I think it could be a Joe Fouché. I think he's ranked up kind of high on the team the last couple of years. So uh, that, that's kind of my pick to be the guy that leads team in tackles. I think I got to stick with the tradition and go with linebacker. I think Bumper Pool, he's just around the ball so much. You always see him. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Bumper's chances there. Um, Grant Morgan starting. I mean, what an honor for him and to be named a team captain. Like that's 
so huge for him, former walk-on. Amazing. But no, I think Bumper Bumper will be around the ball more, in my opinion. Um, which assistant coach takes the crown for the most improved unit? And I was thinking about this, and I don't even know who I would have given it to last year because <laughs> it was all trash. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. Uh, Jeff Trailer. Yeah. Uh, honestly, yeah, probably would be the guy, but you know, this year, you know, I, I thought about maybe going, Brad Davis would be the one everyone's probably going to point to, but you mm-hmm. know, as I mentioned earlier, the offensive line wasn't as bad as everyone thought they were last year. So not everyone has access to pro football focus. Okay. Yeah. They don't I mean, know. Even the traditional stats. I mean, they gave up a lot fewer sacks. Yeah. And, so, I mean, it just, they were, they were better. I think they're going to be better this year, but they don't have as much room for improvement. You know, I almost went with Bryles, not just because he's the offensive coordinator, but he's also the quarterback coach. Uh, and I think Felipe Franks is going to be a lot better. But is do you really get credit bringing in a new guy? Uh, I'm sure you do. But as far as actual coaching up the unit and actual improvement, I'm, I think I'm going with Derek LeBlanc, the uh, defensive line coach. I, I like what he did at Kentucky. Uh, that's not a traditional powerhouse, and they got a pretty good defensive line. And I think that the defensive line this year uh, is going to improve in the pass rush. I think Julius Coates, as I said, is going to get a lot of sacks. I think Dorian Gerald's pretty good. I think Jonathan Marshall is a guy that that fans are going to have to remember. He's a fifth-year senior. I could see him having a a breakout year, kind of like what we saw with Armand Watts in 2018. Uh, So I I like what they have there on the defensive line. Uh, so I, I, that's where I'm going as far as the, the, the coach that gets maybe the most credit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who gets the most credit and who deserves it the most is probably, you know, maybe two different things. Sure. But um, if the secondary can be a lot better than they were last year, that's going to be probably one of the biggest boosts to the team. So Sam Carter, one of the youngest coaches in the SEC as an assistant um, I think that he could have a potential because his his DBs are pretty talented if you look at the rankings if that's what you want to go on um, and they just had such room for improvement in my opinion that I think that he could help them make that jump I'm not sure it'll be apparent in the first few games but as the season goes on they could get a lot better so I'll go with him um Arkansas didn't have anyone who like racked up a bunch of interceptions last year, but Cam Curl was the leader um, who replaces him as the leading interceptor. Yeah, the two guys that kind of came to mind uh, at, when I first read the question were, were Monteric Brown and Jalen Catalan, you know, corner and a safety. I'm not really sure. I, I ended up going with, with Busta Brown. Uh, just because I, I feel like you know, as a corner, he might have a few more op- uh, more chances to intercept some passes. He's a guy I thought was going to have more interceptions than he did last year. I, I think he had maybe one. Um, I think he's going to be a, a playmaker. But I also really like Jalen Catalan. Uh, I think he may end up being the best player in the secondary as far as like, you know, pro football focus grades and things like that. Uh, but I, I do like uh, Monteric Brown there in the secondary. And, I mean, Arkansas hadn't had a guy with, with four or more interceptions since 2011. So, it could be time for, for that to happen. Hashtag Hutch stats. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'd probably go with Monteric Brown as well. 
Um, I think he's the best corner on the team, perhaps the best overall DB. Um, Jalen still has a lot to prove. He gets a lot of credit for what he did in high school, and that doesn't even include his senior year. Um, so I'm going to stick with old Busta <laughs> for now. And he's gotten a lot of praise, although Jerry Jacobs also, um, you know, he was credited for leading the team early in fall camp in takeaways. So maybe him, I just haven't seen him myself. So I have a, have a hard time buying in. Um, a new starter who could win like the breakout performance award. So it just doesn't include like Traylon Burks, Trey Knox, because they already started. But guys on the, on the first string for the first time, who do you think? Well, this isn't going to be surprising considering I just spent a lot of time talking about him, but Jalen Catalan, uh, he is, uh, you know, people, people can say what they want about Chad Morris. He was arguably the worst head coach in SEC history. That's not debatable. But when a guy like he, him says that Jalen Catalan's one of the top five high school football players he's ever seen from Texas, you know, mentioning him up there with the likes of Vince Young, that, that stands out. And, and he certainly looked really good in the very limited playing time he had last year, assuming he can stay healthy, which might be quite the assumption considering he is a little bit injury prone uh, or at least has an injury history. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a really good player for Arkansas and give him a nice you know, replacement to, to Cam Curl at that safety. You might um, discredit mine because I'm not actually sure if he didn't start at least one game last year. Bo Limmer, I feel like his snaps were too low to have no, started he, one. I don't right. think he ever started. He only played like, oh, like, like 30-something. Or... Yeah, yeah. Like, wasn't many snaps. Yeah, So, but mine is Bo Limmer. He is so much larger than he was. Um, he just seems like a real meat and potatoes kind of guy to me. He's from East Texas. You know, they don't, they don't take much for granted out there. He works really, really hard. So um, I think, you know, he could have a really big role on that offensive line. Just second fingers crossed. On the team. Next yeah, to second. Team. Yeah, that was, that was big. And like, I think someone was, when we were posting um, who the strongest player was and then someone posted like what they could bench, people were saying, oh, that's not that much. To me, it sounds like a lot. Like it's 500 and something, not <laughs> a ton of weight. I mean, to a competitive weightlifter, maybe not. I mean, yeah. maybe other teams have guys that can lift that, but I mean, that seems like a lot to me. I could never come close to that. Um, and then last one, biggest impact grad transfer. And I like your answer, but I'm not going to agree with you. <laughs> well, I think you made the stipulation other than Frank's. So we right. yes. see that first, because uh, that would be the obvious answer. <laughs> And I think all the other guys have an opportunity to uh, contribute, obviously. Uh, I went with A.J. Reed, the kicker from Duke. One, I'm a sucker for kickers and punters, uh, so I, I love to give them a little bit of press. But also, he was extremely efficient at Duke, and he has the ability to make long field goals. And I think Arkansas, if, if they're going to be in some close games, if they're ever going to get over the hump and actually win an SEC game this year, uh, you're going to need all the points you can get, whether that be extra points, field goals, whatever. Uh, so I, I really think he's going to have a big year for Arkansas. Uh, so that's why I went with him. Maybe I take kickers for granted. I know you have a special affinity for special teams players, but I think, maybe, I think it's going to be Jerry Jacobs. 
at corner. Like that's just such a crucial position. You know, one misplay, one missed tackle, like it can go down to the house. So I think that having a, a more reliable corner there than what they had last year. <laughs> Not to name any names. Not to name any names. I, ju I just think it's going to be a big impact um, there in the secondary, and I think they really need that. So, yeah. I'm not going to pick Xavier Kelly just because it sounds like he might be splitting reps and he might not even be the starter given, like, you know, Sam Pittman does say he, want he wants to play the younger player if there's, you know, a discrepancy there. So I think that if, you know, Isaiah Nichols ends up progressing more than Kelly he'll end up playing more so not going to go with him um Levi Draper too he, he's a transfer from Oklahoma he's not even is he even in the two deep I'm trying to pull that up right now he, he is he is I think he's with Andrew Parker gotcha I think he's behind bumper though so bumper is like yeah so obvious. he's not a starter so yeah I was just never sold on him because I know he was highly ranked out of high school but like Georgia's defense, I mean, Oklahoma's defense isn't, like, incredible. Um, and he was just relegated to special teams. And to me, like, and I that, was, just, that just doesn't scream to me, I'm going to be a huge contributor in the SEC. It's kind of like I have to prove it. And so, so far, not at that level. Exactly. And I was talking to a uh, beat writer from Oklahoma about uh, Draper, and, and he was telling me that he didn't ever really – think very highly of him he said that I think it was his freshman year redshirt freshman year with the Sooners he asked uh Lincoln Riley about him like hey what do you think you know Levi could could contribute for you on the defense this year and he gave one of those typical coach questions or coach answers where he's like well he's had a good camp we we think highly of him and that was it and and that's the the writer was like yeah I think at that point I knew he was not going to be a part of the plans. And as you said, it's not like, you know, with Xavier Kelly, he didn't start or get on the field a lot with Clemson, but he was playing behind guys that were first-round draft picks or five-star recruits that are, are going to be first-round draft picks. That's one thing. He was playing – Draper was playing behind linebackers on a defense that has traditionally not done well. So, Yeah. Um, around the SEC, a uh, lot of good games, obviously, um, even though it's not like, you know, Georgia versus Alabama, like in my mind, these are still some pretty good games, Auburn and Kentucky. Auburn is the favorite in that one. I'm going to be tuned into that. Ole Miss in Florida, the reason I'm, well, besides Ben being a Gator, the reason I'm going to be tuned into this one is because Ole Miss is only a 14-point underdog, and I was just surprised by that. I think they might be giving Lane Kiffin too much credit, but also maybe not. Like, I I want to tune in and see how Ole Miss looks, so I know I'll be watching that one. Um, Mississippi State, LSU, um, Missouri, Alabama. I feel <laughs> for them. I really do. I understand. Um, Bandy, A&M, that is the biggest line out there right now. It's minus 20, 29 pretty self-explainable um and then Tennessee and South Carolina that is another very close game and if you looked at the um SEC coach firing odds that uh our friend uh SEC Mike shared today on Twitter um Will Muschamp is the uh he's on the hottest seat right now so that's going to be a good one to watch and I want to see if Tennessee has kept up their momentum from last season. So uh, 
what games are you going to be tuned into after before and after i don't even know how much time you're going to get to watch anything else that's uh, that is a bummer yeah the one the game that i'm probably most intrigued or excited by is, is the kentucky auburn game i think that's going to be a really good game i i have a think that Kentucky has a decent chance to, to pull the straight-up upset. Uh, it, would be, it would be horrible if that Auburn offense wasn't rolling in game that, one. But I'm, I'm, I just can't wait for Auburn to have a subpar game with a bad bad offensive performance. The Arkansas Twitter and stuff is just going to absolutely – I think that would be a big consolation prize for Arkansas fans if they got blown <laughs> out, but Auburn also lost. Exactly. So that, that's the game I'm, I'm most excited about. And uh, obviously Tennessee, South Carolina is intriguing. I'm, I'm fascinated that it's such a, a small line because Tennessee is a team that has a ton of preseason hype. And, and you mentioned South Carolina, their coach is on the hot seat. Uh, now I don't know if there's going to be a coach firing this year with all of the uh, turmoil and stuff, but uh, that is interesting. But South Carolina is starting um, Colin Hill. From, from Colorado State, I thought that was just like the best news. I, I was so happy for him. I don't know why. I don't, I don't have any emotional interest in him, but like it was, it was pretty cool. The dude has had, I want to say, three ACL tears yeah. in his career. So you hope he can stay healthy. I don't have much confidence yeah. in it, but man. Someone's I mean, got to be looking down on him at this point. Like, please. Yes. I, I hope I hope he stays healthy. He seems, by all accounts, everything I've read and everything, he seems like a good guy. So hopefully he can, you know, stay healthy and, and have a good year. What time does the press box open on Saturday? Opens up two hours before kickoff. So that'd be about one o'clock. My plan is to get there right at one o'clock. Hopefully I can get up in the press box quickly. We were told today that uh, it's one person in the Just elevator. walk it. Just walk it. It's Probably only like three stories I, I think i do have closer parking this year so i should have more energy uh, to, to walk up if i need to so it's uh interesting interesting times we're living in well everybody um thank you for tuning into the hogbeat hour um on saturday when hutch gets to the stadium he is going to be taking role um seeing who's on the field seeing who's not on the field which i know a lot of people want to know they want to set some last minute bets stuff like that um, so get on the trough. We will have all the updates on there. Um, everything you need to know, who's warming up first for Georgia at quarterback, all that good stuff. So we'll have that on the trough. And you can right now get 50% off an annual subscription to Hogbeat uh, with code SEC2020. You know, 50% off, that's 50 bucks you save. So like if on Monday you want to subscribe to Hogbeat because you clicked a link and you couldn't read it, well, the deal's over by then, so you're going to shell out an extra 50 bucks when you didn't need to. So go ahead, get that promo in. It's SEC 2020. Get Plus access. You, you can what? You also get a free T-shirt. Oh, yeah. I always forget about that because I have so many T-shirts. I, it, it, it is of no value to me. But, yeah, they have Arkansas-branded stuff. So you'll get $28 to BreakingTea.com and 50% off Hogbeat, and you'll get access to Hutch and I all season long and our great takes worth worth the price of admission in my opinion our pff data is certainly worth the cost of admission so go sign up sec 2020 thanks everybody